I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This has been an exhausting <laughs> exhausting year, but certainly an exhausting week, and it's been terrible, and I thought for a moment uh, today that I would uh, relax and get back to something I, and I don't do nearly enough of. I was a terrible musician in the 90s, but at least I used to listen to music and enjoy music and have that, and, and I just don't do it enough. So, um, so I put on some music today and kind of kicked back, and all the kids were out somewhere else down the street and so i was like all right here i go and immediately there was a problem with what was happening because i realized with with all the change happening and all the i mean it started a couple years ago with the me too stuff and now with the um with the black lives matter stuff the george floyd protest all the statues coming down i was listening to music and i thought this uh i don't know that this can last so i brought in a friend of mine a a guy who is a a uh, successful musician who did it right, um, and all-around good guy. His name is Johnny Angel Wendell, or Johnny A. Wendell. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Johnny A. Wendell, W-E-N-D-E-L-L. Johnny, how you doing, man? Good, Tommy. How are you? I'm okay. I don't know if uh, things are more chaotic in your state. You're in California. I'm in Massachusetts. Yes. Um, I guess yeah. it's the same state, kind of, isn't it? Except the weather's nicer where you are. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, uh, I, I think the similarities begin and end at we have the same money and uh, mostly Democratic politicians run both states. But California, really nothing like Massachusetts uh, in the, the prevailing attitudes out here are considerably different, mostly because most people who live in California have been here at the most, uh, their families for about three generations. Mm. Massachusetts, you got people who go back to the 1600s. And, and you can tell, you know, there's a, a level of transiency is very high. Also, uh, there are more people in Los Angeles County than there are in two Massachusetts's. So, you know, uh, 
it's it, it's bigger and smaller at the same time. So that's interesting. Is there is there a feel is there a camaraderie there that uh, you're all like kind of dissidents or refugees from other states or uh, you know um, expats from other states? Is is that an energy that's that's palpable, or do you just not trust anybody? Well, no, I I would say it's more like an awful lot of people who live here who are in the industry or in the in the music end of the industry or filmmaking or writing, you know, in in the arts as commerce way of of living i mean up until the 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 plague started a few months ago <laughs> um you know most of us were big fish in small ponds and so we decided i want to swim in the biggest pond of them all and see how i'll fare you know there are uh, the uh musicians out here who are from massachusetts like i am a lot of them were fairly successful back there but they wanted to uh, broaden their horizons, make a better living if they could. And when the music industry was vibrant up until, you know, 10, 15 years ago when digital downloading destroyed it, you could, uh, you could make a decent living. I mean, I, I think that when the pandemic ends, the the remnant of, of music as, as art, the people who really enjoy music because they love music in Southern California, I think you'll see a gigantic renaissance hmm. because by, I mean, let's assume that there's a vaccine by early next year and people get a shot in the arm, they can go out again. Right. Right. Um, I think people will realize that they don't care about who's hot and who's going to sell units and who's going to be the the next Billie Eilish saying, you know, Billy <laughs> is, is in the, Billy's lives in the next neighborhood over from me. So, you know, it, it, it's um, the, the business end of the music end is on its last legs. It, it's very hard to monetize something that's free. And a lot of artists, Billy probably being one of them, realizes at this point, if I control my own merchandise, if I control my own ticket sales, if I control my publishing and, and my uh, licensing music to, to films and advertising and television shows, why would I cut anybody else in on it? You know, what are they right. going to do? Distribute it for me? There's this thing called the Internet where you can distribute billions of everything by like that. So why would I? Yeah. And actually, I mean, it puts a, I assume it puts a lot of lawyers out of business as well. You know, Good. I, yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Fine. Man. I'm right there with you. I've had it. I've had enough of it. I've had enough. You know, people don't understand a lot that, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. is full of politicians and lawyers. And right. you know, they're the decision makers and they're the people who are telling us what's what. Give me a freaking break. Um, so, uh, Johnny, I'm uh, – so yeah. I, I haven't gone into – I was a big John Lennon guy. I really, I worshipped at the altar of John Lennon in the, in the 80s. Um, I see. And, and uh, I used to love – I had the video cassette of uh, John Lennon Live in New York City, and I used to love it and – and, and it was just great, and I and I loved him. So I thought, man, I have I want to get that feeling back that I had. I'm gonna get away from politics, do do my thing. So then I uh, happened upon this little track, Johnny. Assume you know oh, where yeah. this is going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I know the song. I, I do. There we go. So uh, yeah. So that'll about do it. And um, if if people aren't yeah. familiar with the song, it's "Woman is the N Word of the World." 
Right. There is context. There is meaning behind it. There is it is it it is outreach to women. And I think there is nothing there is no racially insensitive intent. But aren't aren't those days over? Does does it matter? Is that well, have to be canceled? I, I think when you talk about context, when people hear a word with that kind of power or gravity, it's like their brains go off and they don't they don't recognize the context. They don't recognize the historical significance of it. All they hear is that word in the same way that I think six years after the John, that's from sometime in New York City. Right. Yep. That record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think six years after that or so, maybe seven. Um, Patti Smith put out a record uh, called Easter. It was her third record. And she had a song on it called Rock and Roll N-Word. Okay. (laughs) So, and what the word meant in the context of the John Lennon song and the Patti Smith song was, isn't isn't like a derogatory expression aimed at people of color. It's that saying this kind of person is regarded at the bottom of society's ladder and women are regarded at the bottom of society's ladder. You know, John Lennon was saying, right. I'm, I'm, I'm a feminist and that's why I can sing this because that's what I mean. The thing is, is that the power of that particular word or, or all of the associations that, that come with it, all the negative baggage would mean that if you were to belt out the title of that song, and, and that's the song's hook, as, right. as it is in the Patti Smith song, that's all most people can hear is that, that, that six-letter word. Yes. You know, they can't hear. All of a sudden, their brains go off, you know, and they, and they, and they don't want to, they, they can't hear anything else. So I understand what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And, and he said it effectively in his way, but what he was really getting at is if i use language that is so powerful that you can't ignore it you will listen to me okay and that was his point Mm -hmm. you know um the problem is is that it's no longer john lennon you're listening to it's this one word that sticks out and punches you in the face over and over again so the idea as an artist is how do you find a way to say something with the same gravity and punch without using a word with so much, uh, so many offensive connotations. You know, for, for me, I understand the song and I understand Patty's song and, um, and, and the, the word is in lots of other songs too. Right. You know? Oh, so, definitely. Well, and uh, yeah, that's apart from rap where it is. Yeah. It is sure that's different. There's an exception there because that's the the black community generally using that language. Yeah, uh, yeah. They feel that they feel that if you use the the N word in the context of hip hop, you're sort of disarming it. You know, you're mm-hmm. taking away some of its sting. You're making it right. sound more ridi- more ridiculous than toxic. But just on you know? that, but just on that, I mean, by uh, Confederate statues are one thing, but Lincoln statues are coming down now, et cetera. So context has been ripped out of this this symbolism that we're seeing uh, wide scale. Can you can uh, I mean, would you be able to defend that song in the court of 2020 culture? Woman is the end of the world. Yes. Yeah. uh, 
I'd try. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I, I'd, give, I'd give it a go. I think most people would understand. Uh, yeah, that's what he means. But why do you have to use that word? And I would say, well, you know, you can look at it as the, the same way as you would look at, say, Huckleberry Finn, where the same word is prominent in that book. Right. A character yep. has that name, mm-hmm. you know. And for years, they well, we can't use this this book because that's what this character is called. That's offensive. It's like that's what his name is. Okay, and that's what the title of the Lennon song is. That's the title of Patty's song. If you don't like the fact that they use those words or that Mark Twain used that word, that's fine. But if you don't pay attention to the rest of the song because one word has has upset your sensibility so much that you can't think for yourself anymore, then it's you who has the problem, not John Lennon. I think, I mean, I get what he was saying. He probably could have been more artful, but he wanted you to listen to him. So that's why he said what he said. I'm not blaming him, you know, in, in right. he's also, he was also English and not in on the American slave trade. You know, I don't, uh, certainly the English had their own problems. Oh. Res- resolved. The English had <laughs> Who do you think pro- started the slave trade? <laughs> it goes back who was to the thousands bond, of years. Who was the, who was the Excuse me, but I mean, you know, the owners of what is now the eastern seaboard of the United States, as I recall, when the first <laughs> slaves were brought to America, the owners of of the original 13 states would be whom? Oh, that's right. The English. Yeah. There okay, is a, so I guess you can draw yeah. a pretty straight line there, admittedly. Yeah, Johnny. that's true. So yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. I'm just trying to do some legal defense here for Mr. Lennon, sir. Fine, you can. But, you know, it's. It's always, you know, the, the very sensitive issue with a lot of people is the issue of race reparations, which mm-hmm. we, all, we all know what those are, right? Right. I'd assume. Okay. And whenever anybody asks me, how do you feel about race reparations? And they figure that they're going to get some kind of oleaginous slithering, avoid the issue answer from me. And I go, no, nah, I'm in favor of them, which I am. Mm-hmm. And they're shocked because that's not a very popular opinion, even for a lefty. And I'm an unabashed lefty, as you know, that's, that's like, well, let's take how, how can you do that? And I say, look, two reasons. First of all, uh, the English government would have to pay most of them. So I'm off the hook for that. So that doesn't bother me. Okay. Secondly, you know, if your grandfather eight times back cheated my grandfather eight times back, you still owe me. That's how I look at it. You know, so on the issue of uh, so on the issue of language, which is what we're talking about here, language evolves. All right. And the N word in 1972 and the N word in 1978 and the N word in the 1800s when Samuel Clemens wrote Huckleberry Finn Mm -hmm. Finn doesn't quite mean exactly what it means now, because right now in 2020, it's it's a screw you. It's an insult. You hear that word and all you can see is that imbecile police officer choking George Floyd to death with his knee. All right. It's like, it's that vivid. And that's what, that's what damages the historical context of those songs is the kind of person who bellows out the N word loudly and proudly right now is, is a murdering bastard. Okay. So now you, now you got problems with the word, but would I rewrite those songs? No, they, they exist in historical context. <laughs> Listen to them as such. And as we're going to talk about John Lennon, yes. you mentioned the, the Me Too movement, right? Yes. And, and right before you turned on my microphone, you're playing a snippet of a song called Getting Better, mm-hmm. right? It's off Sgt. Pepper's. Isn't that the, the song that has a verse? 
I used to be cruel to my woman. We'll play I beat it right her now, and Stand kept by. her apart from the things I she loved. Beat her sounds okay. a lot like beating her, John. Yeah. To me, that's yeah, yeah, like... yeah. I kept her apart from the things mm-hmm. that she I was cruel to her, I beat her. Okay. Right. Now uh, he's what he's trying to do is he's trying to be candid and say, okay, I did those horrible things. I was mean. I'm changing my scene. I'm doing the best that I can. That's the rest of the lyric, right? Yes. Okay. Um, while it is commendable that he evolves over the course of the <laughs> song. Was... <laughs> uh, it is you know, chivalrous he, to he, stop beating her, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's admitting he's a prick. Okay. <laughs> but, by the, but by the same token, you go, I don't know, man. I mean, uh, I... That's not something that that I would I would favor right. generally under any circumstances, <laughs> and yeah, he was uh, he was you know he he beat yeah. his first wife up and and he hit Yoko a few times yes, too. Yes, and I think also up there in L.A. Uh, with uh, May Pang or who was it with May Pang? Yeah. yeah, yeah. John had some problems I, with the violence. Yeah, I don't think I don't think John ever hit May though. Oh, did he not? I, th- I no, I don't think he did. I I know he. Uh, you know, he got into trouble because he was drunk. Yes, and he was out at the uh, the Troubadour, which, by the way, still exists. Really? And there's a GoFundMe to keep them in business. Do the Smothers Brothers yeah. still play there, Johnny? Well, I think he got into trouble originally when Ann Peebles was there, the woman who sings "I Can't Stand the Rain," right? And he was, he was yelling and drunk and yelling and screaming, and the waitress said something to to him about. You know, would you please shut up? Yeah. And he said to the waitress, "It's like, don't you know who I am?" And she goes, "Yeah, you're an asshole with right. a cotex on his head." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think John forgot for a moment that uh, Angelinos, male, female, and regardless of where we are in the social yes. scene, you ask us a direct question like that, you're going to get a direct answer, yes. probably, no matter who you are. And he said, yeah, you're an asshole with a, with a tampon on your head. Like, shut up. Which he must have loved, you know? actually, it's, if, if he could remember I, I, it, if he sobered up and remembered I, it. Well, I think the Smothers Brothers thing was a separate incident. He he was out with uh, Harry Nielsen, right. you know, the without you guy, yes. you know, the one jumping into the fire, him. And um, the he he was heckling. The Smothers Brothers. Smothers Brothers were trying to make a comeback, and he was yeah. destroying their show. What a jerk. And people just people like turned around and said, "What's wrong with you? Would you just shut up?" And he made him heckle even louder. Finally, like all of the the bouncers and the waiters, they formed like a like a flying wedge, picked him and Harry <laughs> up, and threw them out on the sidewalk. <laughs> like goodbye. What's well, disappointing? You know, like John Lennon, oh, oh, the the star of the Beatles. That's great. Shut up. It's disappointing that, that, I mean, him getting you plastered with those guys is one thing, but the fact that he drank Brandy Alexander's is uh, disappointing. I've never quite gotten over that. You want to to explain what a Brandy Alexander is? It's brandy and milk, right? Essentially? Yeah. That's how John explained it. Yeah, it's brandy and milk, and I I know that uh, Ringo used to drink them too, and he would say something like, here's the deal. When they give you the brandy, Alexander, make sure you get the milk on the side. That way, you can throw away most of it and put in most more brandy. You know, oh, like interesting. great! What a what a great idea that is. Well, well Johnny, of you course, know. Ringo. Of course, they were roommates in L.A., right? For a while, didn't they have this yeah. live in the same house? I, 
So I, I, have... I don't, I don't know about that. I, I think Ringo lived out by the beach, and John lived uh, with a Rolling Stone few, or something it, it... in a few different places. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember. I, I used to know all this stuff, but he. And John spent a lot of time uh, with Jesse Ed Davis, who lived in either Santa Monica or Venice. So he was out at the beach some as well. <laughs> but the, the the thing is, is that I I understand that if you have emotional issues and alcoholism on top of it, you're going to explode in public and you're going to say a lot of things that you're eventually going to regret. It makes good sense not to put them in a song, though. Right. You know, admittedly, I mean, you know, I'm a guy who says has some questionable lyrics in, in some of the songs that I made up when I was in a different frame of mind. You know, and if and if people said, well, you're the one who said this, I'd be like, yeah, I said it. But it was 1985. It's 2020. It's it's 35 years later. Can you? I mean, if I <laughs> if I was still a 29 year old moron. Then it, at 64, which I'm going to be in six days, four, five days, excuse me, then it, it's it's like, well, I didn't learn anything. You know, <laughs> I, I would not have a song at this point. Not that I, you know, uh, we had one that we used to do on our set that people loved, which had a line in it. Um, and it was, uh, I can F her all night. She still can't come. That's in one, one of our songs. <laughs> I wouldn't put that in a song now if somebody said, boy, can you, I'll, I'll give you 25 grand if you remake that song. It's called Generic New York City Woman. I'd go, even for the money, I don't know if I could sing it with a straight face. Why don't, I don't you know. get like, yeah. why don't you get Kid Rock to sing yeah. it? It's more his I don't speed. know who's being belittled in that song, actually. Is it the songwriter who's unable to uh, to uh, perform or is it the New York City no, Woman? Who- it- as I recall, when I made the song up, the woman that I had in mind was, uh, she was a, a, a little uptight, you know, okay. and she was diff- oh. difficult to put at ease, which, you know, for those of us with some sexual experience know that it's, it's, it's difficult to achieve physical satisfaction if your brain won't <laughs> shut up. And that I think was her problem. At any point in the song, at any point in the song, do you beat her, Johnny? No, <laughs> that's, so there you go. You've got that no. over. Him. But no, you, you, I didn't. I, I, I that 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 might have been a bridge too far for me. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I know. I know that we did have one song in which I reference a girlfriend who had a boyfriend that did beat her up, and that right. I couldn't understand why she allowed this sort of thing. That was in the song, but it wasn't me who was doing the beating. It was her imbecile boyfriend. Right. So, so, hey, so, so can you can you cover that first Lennon song, "Woman Is the Blank of the World"? I mean, I mean, you won't cover it. Yeah, but can, you could. Can you a white could. guy I don't know cover why it? You would. Can a white person cover it? I well, mean, I. I, what, I would, what would be the point? What would it do you? It's a song about feminism, right? And I don't know write what the point. Would, I would not. <laughs> I would not. write your own. <laughs> I, I mean. You know, it's it's like I, I, I realize that the Helen Reddy tune, I Am Woman, yeah. is not a it's not an offensive song. OK, mm-hmm. but if you sing that song now, 46 years after it was a hit, it just sounds ridiculous. I am strong. I'm invincible. I am woman. It's like, oh, for Christ's sake, she sounds like Tarzan's Jane got a microphone. I am strong. I am invincible. I am woman. You know, one thing about lyricism that has changed post hip hop is that easy cliches are a lot rarer 
in modern lyrics. If you listen to them, lyrics now have to kind of say something or they have to be unusual in their rhyme scheme. Back then, if they just carried a catchy melody, you were okay. I'm not saying that the John Lennon song was particularly catchy or, or the Patty song was catchy or whatever. And I, I, I know there are other songs. Uh, Elvis Costello had a song with the N-word in it, Oliver's Army. You Jesus. know, it's like Oliver's Army is a great song. You know, it's a better song than the John Lennon song. It's a better song than Patty's song, you know. But he wanted something to rhyme with trigger, which shows you, <laughs> you know, that, you know, Use a different word than trigger, did, asshole. Yeah, it's did like, downrigger not, not, not uh, scan? Yeah, you could, you could come up with something. There are other parts of a gun. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I know, I shot him. <laughs> and, right. and Elvis Costello, at some point in his life, must have realized, you know, uh, recording that and popping off in a bar about how Ray Charles is a blind, ignorant, mm, and then having a woman beat the crap out of me for it. Maybe I shouldn't use that word anymore because it just brings a lot of misery down on oh. my ugly, stupid British head. Okay. Yeah, some uh, some uh, crowds don't countenance that kind of thing. You know, I work in Lowell for the Lowell Sun now, and of course we've got folks there who know who knew Kerouac, and yeah. uh, his use of that term uh, expedited his demise. Uh, Rapidly in a bar down in Florida. Oh, he got the crap kicked out of him. Yes, eh? indeed. Yes. He yeah, was... him, and, him and Jocko Pastorius. Don't get drunk in a bar in Florida. It could kill you if you're an artist. <laughs> so <laughs> No, I, 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 I knew that, I think. You know what's interesting? You mentioned Lowell, and, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm like uh, 25 years old again and on stage at the Raft, not the Rat, in Boston, the right. raft in Lowell it was right on. It was, it was like, I think it used to be part of a mill and it was on a river and it had this smile high stage. So you're way above the audience. Oh, cool. And I, it, we always used to play there on new wave nights. Cause we were like a new wave band, so, which was a Thursday. And you would go up there once a month and it was like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I, I was, it was a fun place to play. You had to yeah. play two long sets. <laughs> that I remember. It was a tiring gig. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think they're both gone. Unfortunately, and certainly the rat is gone, and is now a, a rat is cheesy gone. hotel. Um, and there's there's hardly anything uh, left in Boston. I can't, I can't even imagine. And I'm up here in 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 the way North Shore now of Massachusetts, and right, those days are gone. The good bars, you know, I, you know, I guess it's probably a good thing, but uh, just starting with the millennials aren't drinkers like i think you used to be and i used to be um well there's a reason for that son <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I have a question for you yeah. when when i went uh, assuming i wasn't getting them for free which i generally did because that's you know you play somewhere they yeah. they give you free drinks you know um assuming i was i had to buy a, a tall budweiser how much do they cost in 2020 in a bar What's a Budweiser cost? She's probably at least six bucks. At least six bucks. Okay. I mean, you know, they were a dollar. Yeah. If that. Mm -hmm. They were a dollar in, in, in uh, 19... I stopped drinking in 1985. They were, in fact, the last drink I had in my life was a tall neck Budweiser at the Rat hmm. in 1985. Last day of August, 1985. And it was free because I worked there, but... It would have been a dollar. Okay, you're going to tell me with a straight face the rate of inflation is six times what it was 35 years ago? Of course it isn't. You know, mm. nor is there any reason 
for a drink to cost that much. Mm -hmm. I would assume that there are a bunch of reasons why millennials don't drink as much. One of them is that alcohol is really expensive. Two is that uh, drunk driving laws are far more draconian than they used to be. Right. You know, they have to be a lot more careful. Uh, thirdly, uh, weed is a lot cheaper and easier to find and, and yeah. you don't get a hangover from it and you don't feel like beating up the bouncer when you smoke it <laughs> or vape it or eat yeah. it, you know. And, and I think that, you know, they, they, they see alcohol consumption as being sort of unhealthy, right. which, which it is, really. And probably you know? something their parents did. And every millennial, every young person works out in his incredible shape, you know. And uh, I think also, yeah. also something that we didn't have when, when we were 25 is that they have apps to hook up to find, you know, romantic interests. They're, they're oh, those, to, exi those existed. No, they didn't back then. Well, that, there, was, there was no internet. No, there was right. no internet. But there was there was the classified section of the Boston. I, well, Phoenix. that's different. That yeah, that's a professional class, though, Johnny. I'm just talking about meeting coeds. Oh. If, if you're that age, you know. Oh, I, I, I have to tell you this because you'll love this. I was a courier for the Boston Phoenix for about seven or eight months in uh, 1988, mm -hmm. and they would send me to go collect from the escorts managers oh. and from the escorts themselves who advertise in the classified section because I was the scariest looking courier they had. <laughs> Not like I was, I wasn't big and strong. Right. I, I mean, I was tiny. I was like, like five, nine, 140 pounds, maybe something like that. But I was nutty looking. I didn't look respectable. I looked like, you know, this guy is the kind of guy who probably yeah. has a switchblade and he'll <laughs> cut my throat if I don't give him the money we owe them, you know? Right. So it always sent me to collect from the madams and the escorts and stuff. And I got to tell you, they had some really, really nice places that they worked sure. out of, which I, there was one, I don't remember her name. And she was a very nice older lady and she had maybe a half a dozen women working for her. She had a place in Weston, oh. Massachusetts, that was, it was just a total crap hole. It was falling apart as a dump. I would have to figure at this point, that house and its lot have to be worth two and a half, three million dollars. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. That's... And that, but, but back then it was a house of ill repute <laughs> in Weston. That's right, Weston. Whorehouses in your town. <laughs> yeah, well, I, was the, I was a doorman at a hotel in the early 90s and um, and um, it, it, over near MIT. So a lot of the guys right. who come in for business were foreign guys and they love the idea of big buxom American blonde women. Um, right. it, and so, uh, so they'd always, they'd drive up at midnight. They, they'd always be very sweet and, and polite. They'd always hand their keys over to the doorman. They'd be down in 31.5 minutes and, uh, you know, and take care of the doorman. There was, there was quite an industry that I, mean, I assume there still is quite an industry, but geez. oh, sure. I, one time I tried to, I tried to, uh, uh, there was this woman living on Beacon Hill who was a madam and I tried to interview her. I got a hold right. of her, and she said uh, she usually would be happy to do it, but she couldn't do it because that would be flouting what she was doing to the cops, and it would they'd consider it disrespectful because they all knew. You know? <laughs> no, she was protect. She had the, her her right to talk to you without incrimination is is not the issue. The issue is angering the popo who will shut you down. Exactly. You know exactly yeah, that's, right. Oh, that's but, oh, that's awesome. And, and a, but a far more. I I got to tell you something that, yeah. that I think maybe 
you might start to see after 2020. And, and, and I don't think it matters seriously, this particular issue, if either Trump is reelected or Biden beats him. I think that this country is going to have a serious dialogue on the issue of the decriminalization mm-hmm. of recreational drugs and eventually of sex work. I mean, I think yeah. I think it has to, I think it has to happen. We we know now that in Portugal, for example, decriminalized all recreational drugs, crime plummeted in that country. What mm-hmm. by what? 90% in right. 10 years. You know, and and I think that you know, it is true that, that Donald Trump and, and Joseph Biden are old men. Yes. And it's, they're going to be very difficult to move on this one. But I would suspect that some of Trump's confidants are good hearted, smart libertarians, mm-hmm. and that some of Biden's confidants are open minded leftists. And in this, in this, libertarians and leftists are very congruent on the issue of a legal sex trade and a legal recreational drug trade because they both sides of that believe that the government must not interfere in the personal lives of its citizens. And this is a direct interference. If I am an adult and I understand the dangers inherent in, uh, oh, what would be a good example? Snorting Coke, okay? Or I understand the dangers that are inherent in, uh, seeing a sex worker and I'm her 15th tryst of the day, mm-hmm. you know, that, th- that there are risks that come with those things. I'm a grown up. It's my choice. The dealer who sells me the Coke and I have agreed to a price. He, he has agreed to provide me with with a quality product because if he doesn't, I won't use him again. And this is the same thing is true with the with my consort, whomever they are. You know, that's the beauty of a free enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so. You know, I I think that eventually in America, we're going to have to have this conversation in which we ask, how much overreach are we going to allow the government into our personal business? You know, I don't have a problem with the government regulating the relative safety of drugs. Okay, that's fine. Okay, but telling me whether I can or cannot use them, that is a different issue. And by the way, for the record and for your podcast fans, Mm -hmm. I don't use any of them. All right. I've been sober almost 35 years now. Okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I've never paid for sex. Okay, so it's not like, hey, you know, I'm not a direct direct transaction anyway. Pardon me? Not a direct transaction anyway. Oh, no, not even an indirect one, son. (laughs) There are certain beauties that come with being a rock musician, and that's one of them. That's a good point. I was the exception, unfortunately. That was the perk. You know, so... I, I, I would I would think that eventually we're going to we're going to have to talk about this as, as adults, all of us and say, look, we understand that you have this ram down your throat since you're old enough to you know tie your own shoes, that this is bad and this is wrong and this, this is evil. And, uh, you know, and we certainly have an uh, opiate addiction issue in this country as well, you know, uh, not to mention human trafficking, which is an enormous problem to boot. Yep. You want to get rid of both of those things. Legalization or decriminalization is a good first step. I don't know what this has to do with John Lennon no, and Patty but Smith. It's a good point, Johnny, and I and I I tend to agree with you. I think that the the normalcy in 2020 has been breached 
in an area yeah. that is more libertarian uh, kind of uh, in that realm. Absolutely. I mean, this qualified immunity stuff, that is the libertarians have been reason magazine has been talking about getting rid of that for years. The, the police incursions and all this other stuff. So I, I agree. I think there's going to be a super, super uh, push for uh, for changes in those areas. And it's going to be interesting. I certainly do think I, I agree with you that the freaking government bureaucracy needs to go the hell away in many aspects of our life where we've been so used to them, you know, keeping their nose involved and, and shaking us down to be involved. I'm right there, man. I, I, it, maybe that's one good thing that comes out of the end of days now is that everything gets shaken up. <laughs> everything gets Everything's shaken on up. the table. Everything's on the table, and there's strange bedfellows, yeah. and they're, you know, in, I, at this point, looking at the two presidential candidates, this is what we've got. In 2020, these two guys are what we have. Yeah, and, that's right. And, and the guy on the left, the, the, the guy on the left is so bad that the guy on the right might actually win. It's like, I can't, I mean, politically, I don't know where either of them are or either of them have an ideology and regardless, but this is like. Oh, I think they do. But, uh, but the thing is, is that one serious problem that we have in America today is that the federal government is seriously divorced from the needs and wants of 90% of the public, at least. Totally. You want to talk about it. Well, you want to talk about an issue of incredible importance, you know, on the, as, as police brutality is, is a gigantic issue right now. You talk about the United States government outfitting police in America with, 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 with Iraq war mm -hmm. style weaponry for one and two asset seizure to pay for it. Yes. Anybody, anybody who who believes in freedom, no matter who that I don't care how far to the left you are, how far to the right you are, if you're not appalled by that, if you're not incensed by the idea that somebody can take everything you own on the suspicion that you may be in a criminal conspiracy, I'll tell you another thing that I would like to see disappear, and this may surprise you, is RICO statutes. Hmm. Okay, they're vague. Okay, yeah. they, 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 a, a conspiracy. You know, it's like Ice Cube said in, in NWA's famous songs, as a gang is anybody I happen to be rolling with. That's one of his lyrics, okay? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that's what he says, and he's right. You can designate anybody as a gang. You can designate anybody as a conspiracy. Take that power away from the government, okay? You, the law says, A, you have to prove A. You can't say, well... I can't really prove A. So what I'm going to do is prove B by association, which is good enough. It's like, no, it's not. You know, right. and yeah, no, well, it was fun. You it was no, all... you, can't, you, you can't take everything I own because of some farcical case that you make. Okay. It's just, it does. I'm sorry. It's gotten ridiculous. But I tell you, Tommy, you decriminalize or legalize recreational drugs. You decriminalize or legalize uh, sex work. You uh, you certainly decriminalize and legalize all aspects of gambling and gaming. You have now gotten the government out of 40 percent of the public's hair. OK, so that is a damn good start. And I don't they know what this go, has to do with the end word, but they won't go quietly, right. Johnny. You know, no, they those won't. Those are big bureaucracies no, they and they will scare the hell out of you and explain to you how it's the end of days. If you dare suggest that there should be some re, re, uh, 
adjusting or rejiggering of of the that apparatus. They do re, like you said, Johnny. They do really well. It's nice in the DC Beltway. There are no deficits. There are oh, no yeah. depressions. There are no recessions. There's only boom. No. You know. And if you try to take that away from them, Democrat or Republican, then that's a problem. But anyway, I'm going to get us a little bit back, uh, back uh, to what we were talking about before. Right. The, yes. Well, just if you listen to any Beatles song, you know it's like um, you're going to lose that girl. Uh, I'm going to take her away from you. You know, like right. Like she's a piece of property. She has no agency of herself. Property. Obviously, yeah. she belongs to either me or you. I can take her. Maybe, maybe later on you'll take her. But she doesn't right. have. I mean, you would think with, especially with third wave feminism, you would think that they would say, "What? No, 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 no." But it's and, and I think it's it is a sign of the times that things were different. You know, people spoke differently back then. But if we're now going by these rules, the new twenty twenty rules, where everything has to be have the reckoning of the day, I don't think that stuff survives. Sure, it does. For one thing, you're going to lose that girl's catchy song. It's a, it's a great song. <laughs> okay. Secondly, it was it was appropriated and sort of paradised by the Ramones with "You're Going to Kill That Girl," which oh. is a, a very similar song, you know. <laughs> and and you know the thing is is that the Ramones, more so than the Beatles, were they're very deadpan and tongue in cheek. They're not going to kill anybody, right? But they were just there was a, by singing about it as matter of factly and and with such a zingy melody. They sort of reduce the song to ridiculousness, you know. Um, and the, the English beat had that song, Hands Off, She's Mine, where that expression okay. is repeated a zillion times. Hands off, she's mine. Right. She is? Right. <laughs> but like, oh, is that so? Whatever. You There's know, a college football team, I, Johnny, that had to change their fight song, the Gator Chomp or something, or Feed the Gators or something, because somewhere you could draw a parallel to, you know, young black children be used, you being used in the 1800s to bait gators or something like that. But it has, the song has nothing to really? do with it. it. So between that and Gone with the Wind, it's like you would still think that some of these things, regardless of context, some of these things are still verboten. Um, let them be to people who find them offensive. Okay. To me, everything comes in context. I have an argument with somebody about, they were angry about the Texas Longhorns, Whoop, the University of Texas, let me shut that thing off so it doesn't do that again. Uh, the University of Texas Longhorns, they have some song, The Eyes of Texas or something. Mm -hmm. And and the university is being told, you can't use that song anymore. There's there's, there's uh, something in it that is, you know, is, is touchy. And I have all these, these uh, conservative friends in Texas are like, how dare they? This is the end of Texas football. And I'm like, it's not the end of Texas football. It's a song. They're still going to play football, assuming the row row doesn't kill all of them in practice. OK, <laughs> you know, I, I, I you know, I would say I hate to tell you this, but a fight song, just write a new one. All right. And everything is cool. I mean, what? whenever the eyes of Texas was written, right. times were different. All right. So so come up with a new one, assuming you can. OK, then in terms of a real problem for Texas football team, it's like, well, uh, half of the offensive line claims their lungs feel like cement today. That's a genuine problem. Not your freaking fight song being antiquated. Don't get in the way of, Look, uh, of commerce, Johnny. You know, there's a lot yeah, of money exchanging hands there. Come up with new stuff. You know, <laughs> if you don't like the old stuff was sexist, old stuff was racist, old stuff was homophobic, whatever you claim, you know what? I'm with you. 
Now, however, you have to come up with something new to replace it that's compelling. There's your challenge. Go for it. It's one thing to say, I don't like that damn Beatles song, Getting Better, because he used to beat her and uh, kept her apart from the things that she loved, or you're going to lose that girl, I'll take her away from your life, or uh, was the one to run for your life if you can, right. hide your head in the sand, pet you with another man, that's the end, little yes. girl. It's like, which, by the way, John Lennon, to his dying day, hated that song. It's a great song. It's a great no, he hated song. it. No, he I know. Said, he said, first of all, it's stolen from Baby Let's Play House. Okay, it's old El Elvis covering a, a mm -hmm. old blues tune, which had, you know, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to catch you with another man. That's in Baby Let's Play House. So Lennon hated himself for well, stealing look that at, line. Look at Come it's Together, Johnny. Here come yeah, old so, Flat Top. Come together come together as you can't catch me yeah. i know but you know oh by and by the way come together the riff and come together that mm -hmm. everybody knows the bass riff you know yes that's i that's identical to give it away give it away give it away now those, those are the same notes <laughs> so maybe the beatles should sue the red hot chili peppers <laughs> have this, have this, have this long line of suing people right Oh, right. There's, but, a, there's a thievery in rock music. I mean, what are you going to do? And, of course. Of course there is. Friendly borrowing. My point is this, okay? Baby Let's Play House is a great song, whether Arthur Hard Rock Gunner does it, whether Elvis did it, whether, whether uh, John Lennon stole part of it for uh, Run For Your Life, and all of the misogyny and sexism in, in their songs. That's fine, okay? What I would say is, great then you don't have to cover them or play them. But what you do have to do is you have to come up with your own thing that's compelling in, 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 in the lingua franca of the day, okay? Jesus. I'm with you. If you can do that, that's good. But people who sit and complain endlessly about art going back however many hundreds of years and, oh, we can't have this and we can't have that, it's like, fine replace it then or maybe all you're capable of doing is complaining stop <laughs> complaining write your own paint your own sculpt your own film your own there's uh, so many movies well, and and tv shows and and books and, and are loaded with misogyny and sexism and homophobia yes. and racism fine you write your own that doesn't have any of that stuff in it and, and if it's really good, <laughs> it'll succeed. Well, but, but if it sucks, it won't. That's how things work. If you write something that people really like, or if you record something, you sing something, you paint something, and people dig it, they dig it. You know, and, and, and there are a million reasons why they do, and there are a million reasons why they don't. But if you pick something apart because it makes you look more righteous, it's like, I'm a woke well, those guy. People suck. I can't stand that right. song. It's like, <laughs> screw that. I understand. You know, I mean, those I, people suck. But, yeah. some, but it takes, with some people, it takes just, apart from their work product, just the way they right. are outside of it. So Louis C.K. still canceled. You know, Elvis, yeah. I believe, hooked up with a very young lady who became his wife later, wasn't canceled yeah. for it. You know, Michael Jackson music is still out there. You know, I mean, he had some yeah. issues, apparently. Gary Glitter's yeah, fight does. song, whatever that was, <laughs> They, they don't play that in Patriots games anymore because he had some oh, no. issues. But some people get yeah. – some people are free and clear. Some people aren't. Chuck Berry had some issues. You know? He did. But yeah, he did. It's actually hard to find – all of Led Zeppelin, I think, had issues. It's hard to find that's anybody. That's true. But there – That's true, too. It's, it's like – But that's true, too. But, but here's the thing. If the language that you use 
in in song lyrics is harsh and it's deliberately harsh to make a point like uh, ice T's song cop killer mm-hmm. what he would what, what ice T said about it he said it's a story about somebody he said you don't like what it says because the expression cop killer he says I'm not advocating killing anybody it's a story about somebody who is so tired of the police dogging them that he becomes a cop killer it's like it's like somebody who wa- goes to see all the Godfather movies over and over again. That doesn't make you a member of the mafia. It means that you like the movie. Right. You know, uh, Shakespeare's plays, the Bible, <laughs> they're plenty bloody. They're horrible, some yeah. of the things that went on in those books and those plays. But they exist as literature because they have powerful languages in it. Accept it. And if you don't like it, like I've been saying for the last 10 minutes, write your own. I'm you know, with you. Write, write around and see how it goes. I'm with you, but I, and I hope that that stands. I hope that people can suck it up and take it. You know, and there are some things that even when they came out, this came out, or at least was recorded in 1986 that I'm about to play, and yeah. it, it was on what I consider a fantastic album. But this does this hits about 60 different uh, classes of uh, victims. You know where this is going, right? Yeah, I know the song. Yeah. So not only is uh, this, this gets everybody, obviously. The N-word is right. just one of the many things that is thrown around. It, it's it's kind sure. of too bad because if they had dropped uh, kept all that crap out, it's kind of a hard-driving song. Um, uh, but yeah. not yeah, a fan of I never liked it. <laughs> but well, they were your competition, so I, it's it's a different. No, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't my cop. They were a huge band, you know. And I think, and by the way, that record came out in uh, eighty eight or eighty nine. Right, but they recorded it before Appetite. I think they. I think they recorded uh, it earlier. I, I, I think it was like in between Appetite and uh, the the double records. I think that's when they they did they had patience. Izzy had written patience, right. and they thought let's, let's put that out as a single. But no, it's make an all acoustic EP. You know, I right. think that's exact. That's what happened. But the thing is, is that the weird thing about that record, that's that's, that's a Guns N' Roses song called One in a Million, which is uh, immigrants and, mm, mm-hmm. and this and that. You know, you're horrible. Axel claims that that song is about what a person right off the bus from Indiana like himself would think when he would, you know, walk down uh, Sunset Boulevard. You know, yeah. or would go through, uh, go down Yucca and Wilcox Street, what used to be called the Jungle, which is where they got the idea for Welcome oh, wow. to the Jungle. Know you know, so it's like that's what he says. The thing is, is that to me, that one in a million and the other song, I used to love her, but I had to kill her, mm-hmm. which is on the same record. It's like you don't, there's no reason to use that kind of imagery or language if you think that it hardens what is otherwise kind of a pretty acoustic song like you feel bad about having like this kind of nice sensitive pretty ballad like patience so you put this these kind of nasty songs on it by the way you know i used to love her but i had to kill her allegedly is about his dog supposedly really you know, yeah, it's not about a human being. It's supposed to be about his dog. Well, so he, he claims he'd be in bigger trouble <laughs> if uh, if people do that now. Yeah, I suppose. Well, no, I mean, I used to love her, but I had to kill her. I mean, you know, but every, a lot of people put their pets down. You know, it's yeah. I don't see what guess, it would be considered. Euthanized doesn't uh, fit as well lyrically. No, it doesn't. But you know, 
I think although she bitched so much, she drove me nuts. It sounds like there was a more malicious end to the pooch's uh, life. Yeah, that's that could be. I mean, he could be making the whole thing up. I don't know. But um, the fact is, is at that point, uh, Guns N' Roses had Geffen Records over a barrel. Mm. I mean, they had they had not only broken even on their first record, they were keeping their entire roster afloat. Right. So they, they were selling, you know, 700,000 records a week or some insane figure like that. And so they come in and they can they say, put this out. Geffen has no choice because Geffen goes, can't put this thing out. What are you kidding? It's like, well, then we're never delivering another master to you as long and as we live. And you're violating our contract and our lawyer will slap a TRO on you and there'll be no more appetite for destruction in the record stores. Hmm. So they had them over a barrel. And so they put the thing out. I wouldn't have put it out. If I were David Geffen or Eddie Rosenblatt or Tom Zutat or any of the people who were the, the big muckamucks there. And, and, and by the way, you know, Tom and, and Eddie, I knew. I never met David Geffen. They're both pretty decent people. Hmm. You know, Eddie was a really good guy. He was the controller, pretty much the money guy. You know, I think he was the president of Geffen and, and David was the CEO. But Eddie was a good guy. And I, I would probably sense that at some point he would said, guys, you don't get that this is going to bring a lot of misery down on your heads. OK, you're going to have to end up even in 1989, 1990, you're going to end up apologizing profusely for this thing. Now, you think that this may make you seem tough and edgy and a street band that used to play small bars on uh, Sunset and Hollywood Boulevards. But this is this is a bad idea. Eddie probably told them that or, or tried to do it diplomatically or through Guns N' Roses management. And Guns thought, we are the biggest band in the world right now. You will put it out. OK, you can't stop us. You know, we have artistic control. This is, you know, you'll put it out, you know, and they did. And, you know, to their everlasting misery, the one in a million song was hung around their neck like a millstone. Was it? You know, I, I don't. Oh, yeah. I just, yeah, I, Axel I just, had to apologize for really? that over and over and over again and, and, and had to explain it. Look, Tommy, it, a bad song lyric is like a bad joke. If I tell yeah. a bad joke, it means I have to explain it to you so you laugh. Then you laugh out of politeness, but you think, <laughs> gee, that guy's not funny at all. All right. And a, a, a bad song lyric is the same thing. If I have to make apologies for it, it means I screwed up. You know, it means yeah. it's not very good or it's obvious or it's blatant or it's dumb, you know, and that lyric is stupid. And the lyric in I used to love her, but I had to kill her, which, by the way, the Stones should have sued them for that one because it's dead flowers. Oh, really? You know, you can play one right over the other. Yes. But, you know, or it's close enough. I Whenever I hear one, I think of the other. Anyway, it's just like there's no reason. Don't do stuff that's dumb. Don't do it, something that if you heard it, you would think like, yeah, this is kind of stupid or it's not subtle or it's not clever or it doesn't make a point. You know, it doesn't say anything. Yeah. Like if I have to, it's, if I have to explain to you, well, you know, it was me, a hayseed off the bus from Lafayette, Indiana. My impression as I, you know, first strolled down Hollywood Boulevard near Vine or whatever and all these freaky, weird people, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but you sound like an asshole. Do you understand that? It's like you don't sound like you're scared or like you're in a, a state of wonder. You just sound like like an like an asshole with an opinion about other people he doesn't understand. 
Well, okay. certainly. You sound, but, you, 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 you sound like a doofus. Yeah, so, but if you're somebody like David Geffen in 1988 or whatever, yeah. it, 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 in, in the circles you, you hang with, and, you know, is, this is liberal Hollywood, California. You can't have Sorry. somebody write lyrics that say, spread some bleeping disease. That Especially yeah. at that time when it was a death sentence. Oh. Well, yeah, and also at that time when when you uh, wanted to do uh, an AIDS benefit, right? You know, and and and, and you know, wh- who saved Axel's giblets on that one? Elton John. Elton John said, "Yeah, I understand what he did. I've done and said stupid oh, things wow. too." And he's not, and he's and he's not a bad guy. Yeah. And uh, okay, you know, so they 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 sang a duet together, right? Don't let the sun go down oh, on me, or something like that's that. That's right, they did. Oh God, yeah. that's when Axel well, hit his. The Grammys or one of the yes. uh, some other award show. That's right. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, Axel. You know, I'll say this for him. Okay, he's a. I met him once, and he was a very nice, polite person. Was my impression of him. He seemed, seemed like a nice guy. He's a good guy, but I think he's one of these people who gets something like a little switch goes off in his head, and his ability to reason disappears. And he gets himself into trouble, like uh, starting riots at shows and, right. you know, and, and, you know, coming after the guys from Nirvana because he thought they were making fun <laughs> of him. Right. And oh. it, it's just like, you know, I, I think at this point, as, as he pushes 60, he realizes I, yeah. I just don't have the time or the motivation. An interesting thing about him, though, uh, from a friend of mine who was in Guns N' Roses um, in the the after the first bunch of guys disappeared and then some of them came back he, he's told me i can't name him that um axel was a fantastic boss <laughs> huh. he paid he paid good he listened to you uh, he was reasonable um and he was very friendly and huh. and very supportive of everything that you did in your personal life that he was very fair you know that he was the opposite of his public image. He was actually this, this kind of nice, genteel sort of dude, you know, as long oh, as you stay on his good side. But it's like, it, it goes to show though, that by recording lyrics that are problematic or picking fights with your peers for no reason, that, that, that that's, what, that's what people remember. You know, they don't remember. Axel did some talk show years ago. I can't remember which one on TV, bought the whole audience burgers. <laughs> you know, must have cost must have cost him a thousand bucks. He, he didn't care. He said, no, "I bought everybody burgers." He said, "You know, they they sat there. It was a long interview. They seemed hungry, so we sent out for food and they paid oh. for it." It was, you know, it's it, like that's it, what he did. You know, so for people who ever <laughs> want to look at uh, like kind of study rock and roll and pop rock and roll anyway, to see those guys, oh. Guns and Roses going after Nirvana and those two groups heading in different directions. And you know, Nirvana right. changes the music landscape. Meanwhile, they Axel has all these epic videos with him swimming with dolphins long after, you know, the day was done for him. Jesus. Well, I, I mean, it's done and it's not done. You know, at this point, all of the money in music, when when the pandemic ends, is going to be concerts. You know, and after yeah. a layoff, people will spend lots of money to see their favorite bands. You know them being one of them. Yes, it would be it would behoove Guns and Roses to have a few hit songs, new ones. Right. But I, I don't I don't know if they're capable of it. Uh, what's you know? a I hit mean, song t- anymore? I mean, t- it's so splintered That's now, a- Johnny. What's a hit song? What it's so splintered? You know, I mean. T- well, 
well a, a, a hit in their genre right you know i mean their rock music hasn't been the the music of young people in 35 years really yeah. even with nirvana and pearl jam and uh, green day and uh, the bands that came after them oh okay let's say 20 years because you have the average person who's 27 28 years old at this point has never heard much rock music yeah. they might have heard it from their parents say and i know that my kids uh like a lot of rock and roll they like uh, they love the ramones um they like uh green day they like uh what else do they like i'm asking my wife david bowie my mm -hmm. son loves david bowie um and my older child likes uh loves green day went to see them you know so, you, uh, so tell uh, me as a musician do you have to sit him down and say listen what Green Day is doing is something that no, we No, I never called, do that. I never do that. Because I know a lot of rock guys are like, that's called punk, and it was invented 20 years before, the, you know, they started jumping around at River Rave in, in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, I know that. I heard about that, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I have no problem with Green Day. Green Day constructs really catchy, yeah. clever songs. And, you know, here's a here's a story for you that you may enjoy as long as this podcast is going to go on for another 36 hours, as I sense it will. <laughs> we're sure we're uh, uh, we're uh, we're wrapping up right after this. OK, uh, a, a woman from my era as a musician in Boston was out here visiting. Her name's Robin Lane. She had, a, had some hits in Boston in the 70s and 80s. And Robin was Robin would come out here and she'd play this house. Uh, in uh, Encino, I think, uh, up in the valley. It, it was like this super swank place. These people had invented something. I can't remember what it was, but they had this behind a gigantic wall mansion. You know, Steve Vai was one of their neighbors. Mm. Graham Nash was right up the road. You know, this rich people lived there, right? So yeah, like, Robin, like Robin, house, wanted, yes. Robin wanted me to play, you know, so bring my guitar and, uh, you know, her son was, was going to play and some of the other people were going to play. And we, I invited a few of my friends to come up to this thing and, and, and a couple of them, one of them was uh, Scott Kempner, who was rhythm guitar in the band, The Dictators. And he still is. He went back to them finally. But Scott, you know, was around in the early 70s before the Ramones, before television, before any of the, the Sex Pistols, Dictators were before any of those. One of the other friends who came along was Jonathan Paley, who was in the group, the Paley Brothers, who were on Sire. And they recorded the song with the Ramones as their backup band. So, you know, there's the three of us are sitting around or four of us because Robin was there, too. And uh, I think uh, Scott's girlfriend, my wife wasn't there. Um, I'm trying to think of some other. Jonathan may have had a friend with him. And I said, Scott, his nickname is Top Ten. And I said, Toppy, why Green Day and not us? <laughs> I asked him, why Green Day? And not us. And mind you, Green Day's hits were long gone at that point. I don't, I, American Idiot may not have come out yet right. by then. But, but you know, Basket Case and Longview and uh, Welcome to Paradise, they were gone. But they were, they were oldies at that point, yeah. right? And he says, he thought about it for, you know, Scott's an intelligent man. And, and he's, he says, you know what it is? He said, if you listen to the dictator's first record, or you listen to the early Ramones stuff or the Sex Pistols and where he pointed at me and he said, you are first band, you know, we were playing at the absolute peak of our musical ability just to get through a take, you know, just to get us from point A to point B and stay on the beat was asking a lot. <laughs> okay. He says, you listen to Green Day 
you know, the not, not Billy, the singer, but the other two, the bass player and the drummer. And like that bass player is a pro bass player. Yeah. Okay. And that drummer is 100% solid. He grooves, he sounds good. And Billy is a really, really strong rhythm guitar player. He doesn't play many solo parts. He doesn't right. have to. Okay. But his, his tempo, his time is excellent. And it's just simply because they, because they came after us, they didn't make the mistakes that we made. And also we were drawn to playing rock and roll because in a lot of ways we didn't like what rock and roll had become, hmm. you know, by the mid seventies, it was just like, like, you know, like Frampton comes alive or super <laughs> tramp or hotel California, that kind of stuff. Right. It was, it was just, it was so carefully meticulously recorded that it just didn't have any life in it anymore. It wasn't like, you know, you're, you're driving along with your ma in 1965 and you're nine years old and you turn on the, the AM radio and she's about a mover comes out or Wooly Bully comes out or uh, 19th Nervous Breakdown or a Psychotic Reaction or something like that comes out and you're just hopping because there's so much energy in that music. Like there's so much energy in, in uh, Tutti Frutti or Rock Around the Clock right. or All Shook Up or Heartbreak Hotel or any Chuck Berry song, anything by Fats Domino. You know, any of the great early R&Bs, anything by Louis Jordan, you know, all of those sides are just they're smoking because they're just basic songs played quick, recorded quick. And the thing is, is Green Day was a bunch of guys who were punk fans, but who understood how recording technology worked better than we did. And they were much they were better players. Okay, so they were punk rock and, and the offspring were punk rock and uh, right. Rancid or punk rock, you know, but they're just they're just, you know, I've, I've been friends with with the Rancid guys for Jesus, 25 years now or whatever. And I would never denigrate their group. I wouldn't say like, ah, you know, they're just an imitation of the clash, you know, screw them. Yeah. You know, that's not what they were. I mean, I mean, I remember the first time I saw them, I was with my wife, was at a showcase in San Francisco and they were up there doing their thing. And I go, what do you know? Stiff little Shanana, you know, <laughs> she knew what I meant. You know, it's just, it's just like this, this comical imitation of a punk band. But then you're like, no, they're actually really good. They're good players. They have a great bass player. They have a strong drummer. They have strong songs. You know, whereas with 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 the original punk bands, you had a lot of guys who really, you know, they they were like art students. Yeah. You know, they were like hangers on. They were like uh, they didn't they'd never played in bands before. You know, they they drew the notes on on their fretboards or what. And they and they were fans of stuff that was, you know, kind of amateurish and crude, like like the Stooges or the Dolls or the MC5, stuff like that. You know, so I, I would think that Green Day. Green Day to me is like if you took like the uh, the song craft of a group like the Ramones or the Buzzcocks and you just sort of ironed out their idiosyncrasies and you made it a lot more palatable, sort of like the way the cars made Roxy music more palatable for the masses. It's like mm. then it works. And that's what Scott was saying, too, is like like these guys were musician musicians. We were a bunch of idiots with guitars. <laughs> There's a difference. So did his you know, explanation it, hurt or is it, were you fine with it? Oh, I'm good with it. You know, what am I, who am I going to complain to God? <laughs> Dear Lord. It's the why did you world. make me a better guitar player? It's the you end know, of the world anyway. Like, what am I, gonna do? I did what I did. 
There's no regrets. Wait, you're living in Beverly Hills overlooking the, the Pacific Ocean anyway. Who cares? Are, are you what? That's what <laughs> I, you I have moles on the West Coast, Johnny, and it, although they can't get into your gated uh, community, I know I've heard that. Oh, hold on a second. You've been <laughs> hold on a minute. Hey, you can't. Hey, Mimit, you can't hear this because it's coming through my headphones. This genius says we live in Beverly Hills, overlooking the Pacific Ocean in a gated community. Correct. That's what he's saying. And she goes, "Who is this idiot?" <laughs> <laughs> You were talking David, about David Geffen when you could have simply yelled across the yard to David Geffen. This is what David, I hear anyway. David doesn't live. David lives in Hawaii or something like that. He's not here. David. You call him David. Man, to run in your circles. No, uh, it's his name. <laughs> it's like, what do you want to be? Mr. Geffen? Your pal you know? is, the, is the point. Hey, Johnny. He's not my pal. <laughs> I choose to believe this. I've got nothing. If I I met the, I I don't think I'd recognize him at this point. I choose to believe my own reality about you and your trappings, uh, Mr. Angel Wendell. Okay, me and my trappings. Yeah, we uh, one. There are no gated communities in this neighborhood. Okay, for one. Secondly, the ocean's fourteen miles. I know my wife's pointing at where the, the one gated community on top of the hill. For those of you listening to the podcast, okay. just Google Hearst Mansion, and that's essentially what we're talking about here. <laughs> Hearst Mansion. Hearst Mansion's 400 miles away. What are you, nuts? His name is Hearst, Johnny Angel Hearst Wendell. <laughs> in Cambria. Cambria is 300 <laughs> miles away. Don't Man, listen are, to this imbecile. You are doffing protesting too much, Johnny, or however you say it. Is that he is Johnny Angel Wendell. He is a good guy. Follow him on Twitter at Johnny right. A. Wendell, W E N D E L L. Uh, from there, you can find um, a link to, to listen to some of his music as well and uh, some yeah. of his insights. He's a great guy who uh, abandoned. Oh, cut that out. <laughs> he's that. a jerk, okay? But he's a good jerk. He's a kind of jerk and eat on that wall, damn it. Johnny, I appreciate No, I'm, I'm a cool jerk, just like the song, right? <laughs> cool jerk. That song is not banned, thankfully, as yet. Johnny, thanks. Oh, it's about a dance. How are you going to ban it? I'm being told to shut up. My wife's not going to be too loud. Hey, I appreciate, so, I appreciate uh, it, man. Just, just, just a few yeah, things. Okay. True, we live in L.A. We're 14 miles from the ocean. Yes. Secondly, <laughs> that's enough. Okay. I'm cutting that would all be like me. That would be like me saying, so So, how's life on the Freedom Trail? I know you're nowhere near that either. Okay. Most of that's See? been banned, actually, and pulled down now anyway. The Freedom Trail has been banned. I'm just kidding. Why? I, well, a lot of it wasn't free for everybody, so it goes through Faneuil Hall, and Peter Faneuil was involved in the slave trade. I don't want to get back into it. I'm just uh, – Oh, I have a question for you, yes. then. Is the big steaming kettle still there? Uh, on Court Street, I think that is. On Court, yeah, in City Hall Center, Plaza. yeah. I think it is. is it was a Starbucks, oh, cool. of course. <laughs> it was what? It was most recently a Starbucks that had... Yeah, a... I, know, I, know, I know that. Yes. Yeah. So the steaming no, kettle is there. That. <laughs> I love the steaming kettle. And it's and it's a landmark, and it should be there forever. I would rather the... have the steaming rat back, the rascaler hellhole in Kenmore Square. No, but I'll say this for the rat. They, they have a suite on top of the building where the rat used to be in. It's like the fifth or sixth floor in the building that Jimmy used to own. And I think it's $1,000 a night in the rat suite. It's a rat suite. Oh, my it's, God. It's that's all, great. Yeah, it's all, all graffitied up. It looks like the ladies' room and the rat doesn't smell like it, blessedly. Ugh. But I will I will say this for the rat suite. As as uh, expensive and costly and wonderful and wrong and you know insane as it is, there is a copy of Johnny's book at, at the Rat 
suite called Looking for Lady D. So if you stay there, Looking for Lady D is next to Gideon's Bible, which I never thought in a million, given what is in the book, Looking for Lady D, it probably doesn't belong there, but that's where it is. I do recall a couple of uh, excerpts, uh, passages, uh, Johnny, that uh, that uh, jump out as um, colorful, yeah, they, to say the least. Yeah, they, they, they certainly were, and I would use... The expression jump out, given that uh, I did a lot of jumping in those days. <laughs> we'll talk more about that next time we have you on. Johnny. Oh, sure. <laughs> Johnny, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate sure. it, my friend. This is, uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. And, uh, okay, I, I can leave now, right? Uh, yeah, you can leave now. See you later. All right, I'll talk to you. Bye bye. Yeah, I dare say. <laughs> yeah, a laugh a minute. What, what, a jo- what a joy it is to be alive. In the, in the year that was so good, they named it twice, 2020. Say la vie. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.